Children's Retrogrades, we've been talking over the last four years, can you believe it? Four years, how time flies, about the color revolution of the household. That is feminism, the overthrow by women of men of a, matri uh, of a patriarchy, by a matriarchy. And this all began shortly, shortly over four years ago. We just celebrated the four-year anniversary of our announcement, Steph's and mine, of the book, The Case for Patriarchy, on Matt Frad's show. We announced a counter-revolution. If you remember that show, if you saw that show, many did. Many balked at the time, but over the last 18 months, something remarkable has happened. And I'm going to talk about this meta-narrative today in a very specific context. What happened? Everyone to the right of center in the Catholic world and not in the Catholic world reversed course. Everyone reversed course. Now, a lot of the particulars of that counter-revolution are still being worked out. The first two, two and a half years of announcing and then writing the book Case for Patriarchy and, and Steph writing Ask Your Husband were a slog. Many people have written us privately and said, your books helped so much, you guys are the ones to start this fire. How did that work? Well, it was really tough. It was really, really tough. We don't mind it so much, but we're not going to say that it wasn't tough getting so much oppositional force from so many people that claim to be conservative, right-of-center Catholics and, and right-wingers in general. But guess what? You overcome that, and now Daily Wire is doing shows every day against first-wave feminism, not just against second-wave feminism. That's always been a conservative thing. The big goal is no first-wave feminism, no Christian feminism. Mafrad, Trent Horn's household, they admitted specifically that Steph and I converted them. So in the books, Case for Patriarchy, Ask Your Husband, it's been an interesting four years. Parish Reverends, retrogrades. Yesterday, an interesting topic came up on Twitter, and we're going to discuss it today under the auspice of maternal psychology in the feminist world, under the matriarchy, in the matrix of uh, a time when women kind of rule. There's been a coup d'etat or a color revolution, and we're, we're, we're turning things around. That inflection point began four years ago, really we got some momentum about a year, year and a half ago, where it's become a conservative talking point. This is the dysphoria that matters, not the, the last two iterations of that dysphoria. The one where women feel inadequate, neurotic, unsatisfied, and overwhelmed being women particularly in the home. That overwhelming is the topic of today's show. Stay tuned. It came up yesterday on Twitter. And as, as things often happen on Twitter, I, I made a remark and the people that get it, get it. But the counter-revolution against feminism is, is young. So we're going to talk today about what that household overwhelming feeling is and about household neuroticism. That means everyone feels nervous when mom's feeling overwhelmed. That's today's show. I want to remind you to please like and subscribe to my channel, this video. We need your help. Like, 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 and subscribe to my channel on Rumble. That's really important because we're playing in another kitty sandbox. 
in keeping thematically with today's show, I want you also to go to our channel. We're going to link it in this show to the Women's Summit, no such thing as Halfway Cooks, that Steph ran in the fall with six other well-known influencers or influencers' wives on precisely this issue, how to be pleasant at home, how not to feel overwhelmed with the most basic tasks of being a homemaker. The feminists drove those they convinced into the workplace, but those who remained in the home place, good for you guys, don't feel overwhelmed and neurotic. Don't be tyrannically whimsical. Don't let your mood be a hair trigger around the home. That's the main topic addressed by Steph's conference that she ran. It was a summit for women. No such thing as halfway cooks. We're going to link that in today's video. Finally, this is an unrelated issue. We always stump for realestateforlife.org. Why? Because it is in such thematic keeping with the other major pillar of this channel. Get out of your blue state, get to a red state. Your true republic is your state, not this continent-sized nation. In, in essence, it's an imperium in imperio. But that means, if what I'm saying is true, you need to be in a state that makes sense. What, what state makes sense for you? One where you're around other like-minded conservative Christians. Get to a red state today. I suggest the blood red swath of states from Texas to Florida. Go to realestateforlife.org and get out of your blue state while you still can. Something very like 2020 will recur in probably 2025, maybe 2024. So get out now. Get set now. Make preparations before winter comes. Not in the middle of dead winter. Realestateforlife.org. Okay, so I'm going to describe to you today a, a, a really basic phenomenology that was intentionally, by manufacture, downstream of feminism. The goal was to get all the women away from their babies into the workplace. Simone de Beauvoir and Betty Friedan, in a very famous dialogue, both take two different approaches to this. The goal is to get women away from their babies. That means into the workplace. This destroys households. This destroys households. And that's what they really wanted to do, starting in the middle 1800s with first wave feminism. So, a lot of women bought into it. Really, it took them 100 years to get women to buy into it. Starting in the late 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, the inflection point. But with the women who stayed home, who knew not to buy that lie, they stayed home and feminism all around them still took a stranglehold on society throughout the 10 years known as the 1970s. Throughout the 1970s, by the way, Wolfer and Stevenson ran a study showing that women's happiness was plummeting as they'd gone to the workplace. Plummeting. It also was plummeting inside the home, even among the women shrewd enough to avoid the two-income trap going to the workplace. And here's why. This is really, this is really what came up yesterday on Twitter. Women still, as happens dozens of times in the Old Testament, are by their nature, they're influenced by what they see around them. Yes, I don't have a job, but many of the other tentacles of feminism got into the home. 
They felt self-conscious about not going into the home place. The primary response of Betty Friedan, feminist in America, to Simone de Beauvoir, older feminist in France, when, she, when the latter suggested we need to force legislatively women out of the home, Friedan said, no, we'll use shame. We will use shame. It works better in America. We will make women who stay home feel horrible about themselves. So there's a sense of shame, embarrassment in female homemakers. In Catholic Republic, in chapters four and five, I talk about this sense of shame being kind of sublimated in the women who stayed home. They constantly use imagery after 1970 where their tasks are related more to working. They even came up with this term homemaking as if it's a real profession. It's not. It's a vocation and it's much higher than any job that any other woman has. It's beautiful. It's not like work though. At your job, you don't typically set your own schedule. At your job, typically your boss isn't out of the house all day. The wife's boss is her husband. She's, she's a middle manager and it's a very, very dignified place for her to be, right? She can get up, go into the office, which is a stupid analogy anyway for the home place, whenever she wants. If, if Women out there, retrogrades, if you want to wake up a little bit later, if you want to wake up at 8.45 instead of 6.45, like so many women report that they have to wake up early, they just put your kids to bed a little bit later. Talk to your husband about it. Is it okay if we put the kids to bed later? Well, you can't do that because of the school day, which is this bizarre, unnecessarily long, eight-hour Puritan work ethic thing that kindergartners are going to school for nine hours? This is absurd. Well, don't, don't do that. Homeschool them, okay? And ask your husband, can we put them to bed a little bit later so that they'll get up a little bit later? Start your day when you want. That is not typical to a job. All these terms from the home place that non-feminist homemakers began using in the 1970s reflect a psychology of cope. They're trying to make the home place more like the workplace, which is stupid. Go watch The Office. Everyone wants the workplace to be more like the home place, not the other way around. Just as Catholics have access to all the true ideas, but wind up being the last ones to know them, we're the worst on feminism. The Orthodox and the Protestants are ahead of us, and I shook the world just by writing a book recoursing to Catholic ideas. Why should we be last? When we, why should we be last when we're really first? Same thing with women staying at home using those Catholic ideas. Why should you be trying to make your home by terminology, by the images you draw from, by the practices? You're trying to make it more like a workplace. The workplace, if anything, should be more like the home place. Maybe neither needs to be like neither. Maybe they're distinct, but the home place is certainly much better. Everyone looks forward to getting home, not going to work. Women, because it's not a job to be a homemaker, because it's a vocation, should just say, this is nothing like the workplace. I'm not going to run this place like a, like a shop. I'm not going to run my home like a factory. It's organic. It's beautiful. We sleep in a bit. The whole family around here, because we homeschool, aside from me, I'm usually up earlier. Men should get up earlier. The wife and the kids sleep until about 8.45, 9, sometimes 9.15 on school days. School takes about two hours, right? They don't have to do all the same things other kids can do. Recess at, say, 11, 11.30, when the kids are done, before lunch, they're done for the day. 
They can do things other kids can't do. My wife can do things other wives can't do. She has spare time. And it's not just because I'm around here now. Okay? But in the average household, I'm just trying to show that the psychology of neurosis has taken over. Everyone you know, almost everyone you know, aside from very, very based households, report, oh man, the wife always feels overwhelmed. Let's address this, okay? False expectations are created by diabolic agents telling the wives the, work sh- the home place should be more like the workplace. Also, you should never feel a little bit behind on tasks, which is, which is an unnatural thing to tell a woman. You're gonna, at, life at a job, all men know. You're always behind on tasks. There's always a stack of things to do on your desk. Sometimes in the dog days of summer, it gets a little shorter. But man, when I looked at the law firm, when I worked at uh, uh, land companies, and even when I was a teacher, there was always a backlog of stuff to do. Sometimes it was a little shorter. Sometimes it was much taller. But you can't get stressed out. So these expectations being created by diabolic agents for the woman, just as the serpent created the expectations of the knowledge of good and evil for the woman. All the patristics say that. Because women are especially, by their nature, they're not good at managing expectations. You ought to eat that apple. Chris Awesome says he went after the woman because the man would have seen through it. Well, because these non-feminists have stayed home, the second moment in this is they stay home, but they borrow from expectations set by feminists. Then there's a third moment. When women are not indulged around the home, I think this is why the constant feeling of overwhelming, which is not normal. Being overwhelmed should be one, you know, one day out of 100, maybe two days out of 100. It should not be two days out of the week, three days out of the week, four days out of the week. What was coming up on Twitter yesterday is that everybody's wives, all the people that were reporting back, were feeling overwhelmed two days of the week, three days of the week. And this is why people were justifying. This is why I, I said, you know, I, I help out with like infant care very, very rarely, but, but occasionally. That wasn't enough for the feminists, the Catholic trad feminists on Twitter. They said, no, it should be like half the time. Let's talk about what generated that egalitarianism. Non-indulgence of expectation creates a near constant overwhelming feeling in these women. I feel overwhelmed. Don't feel overwhelmed. When I was working for one year at the law firm, my boss would always ask me this. One, he would purposely tell me directions fast and he'd say, I'm giving you directions. Go check this out on LexisNexis. Go get this from the legal library. Go check Code of Statutes. Go do this, this, and this, then do this. I'm like, okay, you're, you're giving me a lot. And he said, you have to be able to think fast. It wasn't nice because it was what they call a shit test. It wasn't nice to do. It was unrealistic. But it, he, his main point was there. You can't be overwhelmed all the time just because you have stuff on your plate. That's a direct quote from my, bo- my male boss at the law firm. He's like, you just got to operate through it. And that's really true. Now, at all my jobs where I worked with females, as a landman, I worked two different jobs, ironically, with land women. And it was literally, I, I had, when I worked in law school, I had a female boss as a land woman. And she 
would report. She'd say it like at the beginning of the day, like, it's one of those days I'm just feel it, like she'd announce it like to the whole office. It was a relatively small office with the owner two doors down from her. This land company. Um, oh, it's one of those days no one talked to me. That's not professional. That's not okay. It wasn't okay in the workplace before women went into it. Assume everyone's a little stressed all the time. Not completely overwhelmed, for one thing. But when you do get overwhelmed, you have to cope with it. Okay? So, same thing when I worked other office jobs. Everyone was constantly hearing about the near perennial overwhelming feeling of female workers. Now, there's only one reason why in the workplace they were always feeling overwhelmed. There are two reasons why they feel overwhelmed in the home place. In the home place, the women who are who stayed home but are not quite based and don't get the whole story, don't know the whole tale of the tape. They knew enough to stay home, but they feel constantly shamed. That's why they tried to make the home place more like the workplace. And that makes them feel overwhelmed in the first place. In the second place, it's just like females in the workplace. Women tend to um, have their expectations set either too high for what a day is going to be like, whether it's Mother's Day or a birthday, and not deal at the same prudential level as men. Remember, prudence is called the ruler's virtue, where men will often just say, I have no expectations for my birthday or Father's Day. If we, talk, if we com do comparative analysis around the nation, if we had like a, like a, <laughs> a, a nervometer, in the country at Father's Day versus Mother's Day. Think about this. It would be so much higher on Mother's Day. Everyone's nervous. Am I, am I meeting standards? Women have, by diabolic agents on Mother's Day, had their expectations set so high. And there are so, I'm sad to report, I've talked to so many people about this. There are tantrums being thrown on an otherwise nice day by otherwise nice women. That doesn't happen on Father's Day. She says, hey, I want a barbecue. No one has to do anything for me. You know, baby, get me my beer stein. I'm giving you the kind of normie NPC uh, wasp version of it. Um, but it's, it's really true. It's a chill day on Father's Day or your dad's birthday, on your mom's birthday. Maybe, maybe you have a particularly saintly mom, but that's the exception to the rule. Women get overwhelmed. They get verklempt in the workplace because of expectation management and in the home place. The only difference is in the workplace, they actually feel kind of okay that they're adequating social expectations. I'm out of the home. I drop my baby. I, I pawn my baby off on someone else. Now, this makes them feel bad in a way that the women at home don't feel because they, they always have a natural intellect telling them that's totally wrong. But at least they've kept up with the Joneses, Right? So expectation management is something, it's a function of the practical reason, phronesis, that's prudence, the ruler's virtue, it's especially strong in men, it's why one of the many reasons men are leaders and ought to be in the home and in the workplace and in society at large. And let me just say, to, to put this back into, take it out of the context of workplace, I will, I will use one final analogy. Well, I want to go back home and talk about the way the boomers dealt with Moms feeling overwhelmed around the home and the way that millennials, contrastingly, 
have dealt with mom feeling overwhelmed at home and the way that I hope Zoomers deal with it. But wait one second, one more image from the workplace. When you're in the workplace, I gave the example of when I worked at the law firm, you literally like um, a prey animal, like bunnies will never show their pain. My daughters are super into bunnies. I was watching a how to care for a bunny video with them yesterday. They'll never show their pain. Why? Prey animals, like employers are kind of prey animals. Uh, employees are kind of prey animals of the predators, their employers. Sorry to borrow a Marxian image, but it's kind of true, particularly at a law shop. My boss would say, don't show me if I'm making you nervous with all these tasks. You got to deal with it. It's kind of a game, but it's kind of good for the soul in another sense. You're not supposed to show, hey, I'm suffering. This is too much. I don't love it, but there's something character building about, yes, sir, may I have another? No, that's fine. Give me another task. Stack it on my second desk over there, my desk with the pile of work to do. You're not allowed to go in. The, the thing that my boss told me that first week, you're not allowed to come in here and be complaining about how stressed you are, how overwhelmed you are. Men don't do that. Men who are built for office jobs. You're not allowed to. It means specifically what? You are going to be either just in a state of panic all the time, which produces bad work, or you're going to be in a state of uh, requesting load sharing all the time. Hey, will you cover for me? Will you cover this shift? Will you cover this case for me for today? I'm behind. I don't want the boss to know. Psst. That's bad. That's an externality. Uh, for those of you who, who know what externalities are from economics, that's something that, that hits the bottom line, hurts efficiency. Okay, so women, and now when, when women entered the workplace, that's basically the advent, if we look at the archaeology of HR, of HR, women going and saying, I feel uncomfortable here. I don't know why. <laughs> Even though I'm supposed to be at home, the home was built for me, I'm the regal queen at home. And all these popes, nine, uh, Pius IX, Pius X, Leo XIII said, if you take the regal queen out of her throne, she's going to suffer. Pius XI made it most explicit in Quadragesimo Anno. Casti Canu B.E. It's just right there. Okay, women in the workplace are suffering. HR departments come in to justify that suffering because it's the social planners, the elites, more Luciferians, who emplaced women into the home, uh, into the workplace. And guess what? HR departments sprouted up there and they institutionalized the load sharing. You know, we can't have women. Instead of telling women to cope, look, it's not a big deal that you have a stack of work. Everyone does. Look at everyone else's desk. We started institutionalizing load sharing and that got into the home. Now, what seems to have happened, and I'm making generalizations in this next section, by and large with the baby boomers who were women who stayed home, specifically boomer women who stayed home, was they, you guys are always saying I'm, I'm running boomers down. This is, this is a compliment, a kind of backhanded compliment, but they just dealt with it in a more stoic way. They just dealt with like, hey, I feel kind of weird because I'm at the home after the 19, during the 1970s. They were surviving when it was all happening. These, these women who are boomers who stayed home got beaten up. You should salute them, boomer women who did stay home with you. Good, good for you guys. God bless you guys. But they, so they stayed home. They were tough-skinned, but it still got to them. 
They did not request, this is anecdotal, they did not seem to request all of the load sharing. My, you know, my, my mom, my dad always reported, I changed the most diapers with first baby, then second baby less, then third baby less. It just goes down. That's, that's how I was too. You know, load sharing, no pun intended, because we're talking about dirty diapers, is something that's a luxury of having only one kid. Once the household gets big, you got to tend to all the moving parts. The man tends to deal with the bigger kids. The mom tends to be dealing with the baby pretty much at all times. When I get done with these videos, you know, during summer, I go and run around with the kids. I'm literally tackling them and stuff outside. They're waiting for me. During the school year, me and Steph are going in and out of the homeschool room, and I, I do most of the homeschooling too. So I have to finish it or, or begin it depending on that day's schedule. And then we go out and I play with them. Mom's with baby most of the time. So why in the world, aside from 1% of the time, or if you will, 2% of the time, why in the world did yesterday on Twitter produce trads? Trad after trad after trad saying, yeah, you know, we're basically egalitarians. On roles? On sexual roles? This is my thesis in Case for Patriarchy. This is dysphoria. This is dysphoria of the gender. To say, you know, any more than 1% of the time, a bad headache, you know, throw up flu, a really, really crippling um, bad emotional day, one, one in a blue moon, one in 100 days, maybe one in a 50, that would be 2% of the time. Well, one, let's just use the crass metaphor, one worker, go to the other worker and say, hey, can you do this? And cheerfully, I've, I've never said no to Steph. I always say, hey, Steph, do this if you need it. And she's like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I want to be the best. I want to be the best mom. You, you always try to be the best dad. So I want to do this. I'm like, all right, well, if you need to, come to me. I can only speak from what I know is a kind of patriarchy, Catholic guru guy theoretically, but also from my experience. I just don't have this experience of a wife that's always creating melodrama by always feeling overwhelmed. Like my first law boss told me. You just can't, you can't always be overwhelmed. Overwhelmed is for the exceptional exception, not the rule. And not an exception like one day a week either. That's too much. One day a week is a mini rule. There's exceptions and there's rules. If you're doing something once or twice a week, that means, that means something is out of order with the system. Now, Steph had all C-sections, right? So that just goes without saying. Shoot, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help out in whatever ways because that's like a big surgery. It sounds like less a big surgery than it is. It's a big deal, of course. Or a, really, or a, head, a bad headache even, a migraine or sickness, whatever, or even an especially emotional day. But this should be the exception, not the rule. It's incredible to me what I saw yesterday on Twitter. People that think they're traditional saying we really are egalitarians. I, I said from the outset, I was responding specifically to a, a, a Twitterite named Megha, who said men should never be changing diapers. And I was like, I mean, I'm not going to hold you to the exceptionless way you stated it. You meant the rule. And I said, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I agree. I, I do, you know, about 1% of the time or so, 
which could be 2% or even 3%. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't think anybody has systemic weirdness there, systemic dysfunction. Yeah, I agree. And I just asked, why, why is this unreasonable among a set of Catholics who are institutionally and doctrinally committed against egalitarianism? Committed against gender dysphoria, remember? Gender dysphoria in its first iteration, just feminism, was role dysphoria, gender role dysphoria. Women from the middle 1800s to middle 1900s were made to feel bad for fulfilling, for adequating their natural abilities and capacities as women with the, the tasks that they're doing. That's what we mean by a role. Gender roles are the bridge Jorvens and retrogrades between sex specific capacities on one end and sex specific tasks on the other end. Okay, everyone say that. What is a gender role? It's the bridge between sex specific capacities and abilities, like a woman nursing a baby. Somehow men pretend to nurse babies now. And on the other side of the bridge, sex specific tasks. Or milk production is the capacity, nursing is the task. Right? Being around the baby because of nursing and milking and, and you know, maternal care and all the kinds of psychology that's been demonstrated amply. Women need, uh, babies need their mothers, not their fathers around. Because they're always around the baby, they're going to be doing things like diaper changing most of the time. It's just a fact. I'm out and about half the time outside or running errands with the big kids. Having more complex problems and fatherly talks with the big kids trying to teach them lessons about life, about bullying, about being patient, about being long-tempered, about being sensitive where it's appropriate and direct where appropriate. That's been a big one around my house recently. Those are all issues for the father. A lot of times when Steph's not up here helping me with something, she's just downstairs with the baby. I'm the one around the big kids. Yes, it's a luxury situation, but even when I was a teacher, I got home early and it was pretty much the same story. That's why being a teacher is such a good job for men. For men, you get, I was getting home at 2, 2.30 a lot of days. I could come home on my long breaks, you know, even for an hour and a half. I'd stop back by the home mid-morning. Block schedule is amazing for teachers. Okay, so I was really shocked and, and even scandalized to see so many people that thought they were traditionalists saying, no, we're, we're egalitarians. For whom... Me saying, yeah, you know, I'll, help, I'll help very, very infrequently, very occasionally, in worst case scenarios, with a, a very, very distinctly maternal duty. And they, were, they weren't coming out and saying it, that they bombed this bridge between uh, just the first dysphoria, between sex-specific capacities and sex-specific tasks, like diaper changing, which is really built around you know, they're nursing the baby. They're always there. Um, and this is far more important bridge bombing than the dysphoria in its second iteration for most families. Second iteration, I don't want to say the name, but it's actually the second gender dysphoria. You've heard me say it so many times. Is the connection, is the disconnection, the bombing of the bridge between um, people and their, and their sexual appetites. Right? If you can act like a woman, which the first wave feminist said, and I guess a lot of trad Catholics bought into it, I learned yesterday, well, then you can act like a woman 
specifically in the room with the bed. You know what that is. I'm not going to say the name of that. The third iteration is the most recent. And so if you can act like a woman in the room with the bed, and you can bomb that bridge between sex-specific capacity and sex-specific tasks in the bedroom, well, then you can do it just by throwing on a dress if you're a dude. If you can act like a woman, you can be a woman ontologically. That's the third iteration, the most recent one, starting in like 2014, of dysphoria. And it's the only one that DSM-5, the psychoanalytic manual of the leftists, admits is dysphoria. They don't admit that iteration two, and especially not iteration one of, iteration one is feminism, is gender dysphoria. But it is. It's the most important one. It's the one that messes up all these households. It's the one that creates all these false expectations. It's the one that makes women feel bad when they're borrowing against the expectations of those women who went into the workplace. It's what makes women so overwhelmed and then neurotically grouchy close to half the time. In some homes a little under, in some homes a little over, but people report a lot of neurotic grouchiness, which creates a neurotic nervousness in the kids. That's what is doing it. We may not just be saying, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's fine to have a little backlog of work. I'm going to put on a smile like their husbands are doing in the workplace. Yeah, I, I have a bunch of stuff. Yeah, you want me to do another task, Boss Johnson? Throw it in the pile. I'll get to it when I can. Give them a smile in one of these. I'll get to it. But I, I got a lot to do before. And if you want me to reconfigure, this is also something that women need to do around the house. Reconfigure and say, I, even though this is on the bottom of the pile, I'm going to move it to the top because it's more important. But that means whatever I'm working on right now is going to have to wait. A smile in one of these. Now, I hope, I don't think this is a big problem nowadays because we live in the matrix. We live under a matriarchy. We live in the longhouse, as it's called. I hope that women's husbands are, are good-natured. Not, I'm sure that they overwhelmingly are. They're good-natured when the wives are throwing tantrums. Of course they'd be good-natured when a woman just says, hey, I'm going to kick this test to the bottom, braise this other one uh, to a higher priority and do it now. Of course. That goes without saying because guys yesterday were telling me they're just indulging nervously every tantrum, every bad mood, every time a woman announces to the whole household, I'm feeling overwhelmed. They're indulging, 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 which is not good for the system. It's not good for the common good. It's not good for the household. So these, what I've noticed <clears throat> is that boomer women got grouchy a lot of times. And we were all, you know, they, they, they stoically, I don't think, put on dad changing diapers or, or doing whatever, fall into the maternal role as much, but they, they tended to get grouchy. This is a very common experience in my, my experience and the others that I've spoken to. You go over as a childhood to a childhood friend's house, whether you're spending the night for a night in the weekend in middle school, or you're just playing at a neighborhood friend's house. And you see in kind of a grouchy mom, sometimes a grouchy dad, but almost always a grouchy mom that's papered under. This is a product of one female nature, John Chrysostom says, females are by their nature more short-tempered, just as he, he said in an earlier passage, they're by their natures 
easier to have their expectations uh, uh, manipulated. And I think there's a connection there if you look at Chris Austin. But millennials seem to be dealing with it, maybe hopefully with, with better moods. Hopefully they get something back in the trade for all this. But millennials have dealt with women feeling constantly overwhelmed. It's the normal condition, not the boundary condition. Um, hopefully by being a little less grouchy, but by requesting load sharing. And I, by requesting, I really mean demanding. And by the way, with my millennial friends, I was talking to Steve Skojek about this. He was saying, oh, I, I, ch I change diapers every day. The neuroticism, I don't think, is getting handled. It'd be one thing. We could have a conversation if the load sharing, the indulgence, was eliminating maternal tantrums that seem to be happening in these households downstream of feminism. From all of my experience with my friends, you know, and I have some very close friends who have wives that are like Steph and, and the households operate well. But I don't think for the trading, for the dysphoric trading of tasks or dad taking on mom's tasks, I don't even think they're sidestepping all the tantrums. I think you're, you're, you're indulging, indulging in a way that's making the tantrums worse. That's, this is a bit of a theory, but it, it's in keeping with this. What I'm hoping to do is to make the Zoomers, many of whom have been under my tutelage, coming from California, some of whom will come stay with Steph and I, the Zoomers have a chance now to look at the whole panoply, the whole you know, surround of everything that happened with the baby boomers and then with Gen X, who are very short generation, like mini baby boomers, and then with millennials, in the household economy, the relations between the household, the way that it functions, is it efficient or not? And say, no, we're not doing this. We're not doing this. Yesterday, by the way, on Twitter, I heard from a lot of people that heard they were, they were jumping, jumping on with those who, who were saying the feminist things. You know, we're, we're egalitarians. Just because there's a just because there's a, a principle that, that would stand against dysphoria, different body parts, different body chemistries between male and female, that doesn't mean that you can't, that, that there's such a thing as real gender roles. Whoa, I was shocked. But I wasn't because that same cast of characters were people I hadn't seen on Twitter a lot. I recognized them for two years ago. I hadn't seen them since then. They were the same people that were trying to ratio us when Ask Your Husband in the Case for Patriarchy came out, they've been silent because I do Case for Patriarchy tweets all the time if you follow me on Twitter, but we, we it was a slog at first. People were mad at me after I went on Matt Frad's show four years ago, but a lot of people were saying that's, that's the way. That's the way out of this thing. I don't just mean the household troubles. Family's the single cell of society. I mean all of our troubles. Let the bishops do their thing. Let them do their thing. If households are all strong and men are the virtuous leaders of households, it doesn't really matter what the bishops are doing. Even if Pope Francis takes away the TLM, which would be horrible, which he'll probably do. If households are strong and your dad acts like a man and your mom acts like a woman, you see how well they get along. No one's neurotic. No one's living in the shadow of mom coming around the corner screeching. I'm overwhelmed. 
that's not a reality in my household. And there's no dad yelling. There's no mom yelling. It's just 99, 98% of the time, whatever it is, there's just harmony. That's how it works efficiently. And I think the Zoomers have the chance to see this and to do a total reboot. So the people that were, would have tried to ratio me over the last year or two when I've been pushing the case for patriarchy, because we preponderated, because we convinced by his own admission, Matt Frad, Trent, Trent Horn's wife admitted this too. Walsh and Knowles on the Daily Wire now do anti-feminist, anti-first wave feminism shows like on the daily or every other day. I, 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 you know, Knowles pushed the book and he's like, hey, because I can get kicked off of YouTube for talking about other types of dysphoria, I'm just going to go to this thesis. What's the thesis? Page four in Case for Patriarchy. The worst, the most fundamental, and the most ensconced gender dysphoria is gender role dysphoria, feminism. What is a woman? And I told Knowles, and I did a show on it as well. I told all of you. What is a woman? If you really want to address society's ills today, what is a woman should not have been about third wave gender dysphoria. Who cares? That doesn't affect anyone. It should be about first wave gender dysphoria. And ever since that time, over the last nine months, Walsh, who I don't, I don't know well, I do know Michael Knowles well, Walsh has moved to, yeah, first wave feminism needs to be the project. I suggested a sequel to What is a Woman called What a Woman Is. And it's not about third wave gender dysphoria. It's about first wave gender dysphoria. Remember that bridge bombing. Sex specific capacities or abilities come from like an organ that a woman has that a man doesn't. The bridge, we'll title it afterwards. How do you get to the other side? Sex specific tasks with gender roles. The gender role is literally that thing over which a war was being waged on Twitter yesterday. And all of these people who think they're trads were saying, no, gender roles aren't real. They shouldn't. They're not real enough to justify 100% of the time, as Megha said they should obtain. Or I said, no, maybe 1% of the time, maybe two, they won't obtain. And, and Steph will take out the garbage or I'll change a diaper. But that wasn't enough for them. Even I modified what, what Megha said. I think her name's really Megan, but it's at Megha on Twitter. I was like, well, I, I, 1% of the, I agree with you, but 1% of the time I'll, I'll, I'll kick in help here. That wasn't enough because when you're a first wave gender dysphoric, which is as bad in trad Catholicism as anywhere else, as the Novus Ordo, as secular leftism, they're all running around saying, we're egalitarians. We don't believe there's a bridge between, a, a strong bridge. I mean, then you'll get people trying to kind of go halfway. There's not a strong bridge between sex-specific capacities, like a woman has a breast, and a sex-specific role, like breastfeeding. A lot of the guys were insinuating, even on Twitter, like, oh, I get up and give a bottle. What do you do? Pretend it's a breast? It's gender dysphoria. Call it what it is. A woman's a woman, a man's a man. And if you're not comfortable with 99% of the time building a bridge between sex-specific organ 
capacity, ability, and a sex-specific task around the house, 1% of the time being an exception, that wasn't enough for these people, that's a problem. And all of the, by the way, let's talk about the psychotropic drugs that everybody's on. They're all related to one of three main types of neurosis. Everyone's nervous. There are a few different types of anxiety. And it's the kind of nerves that I think do real psychic damage. People have PTSD from running around a matriarchal household. Even if your mom was smart enough to say, I'm going to stay home, I'm not going to work. If you're my age and your mom was coming of age, you know, really in the 70s, new mom in the 70s or 80s, my older brother was born in the late 70s, I was born in the 80s. Then those women, and I want to defend boomer women now, those were the warriors. That was the first generation of first wave gender dysphoria, where they were really shamed for not going into the workplace after 1970. There's a famous uh, Mallory and Kate Millett story where they did a chant in a boardroom about this. It all revolves around shaming women after 1970 for not being in the workplace. So God bless my mom and all the moms from that baby boomer generation that stayed home. God bless you guys. You were warriors. But what happened, because you didn't know, it's maybe not your fault, but you didn't know what was going on enough to see the whole surround and be like, not only do I need to stay home, but I need to feel chill. I should be cool. There's, I, they still had like a blocked wish or something to go into the workplace, even if they did what they knew was right. Because they're being called cowards and sluggards and layabouts and lazy for not going and becoming like a construction worker. Not becoming a, you know, a soldier in the army. Not becoming an MMA fighter. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So they felt bad. So anytime two tasks stacked up, and this is also just female nature to be a little more nervous and a little more short-tempered than men, according to patristic scholars. Um, they just, if they see three tasks stack up, like, oh, I'm behind. It's all right. You have all day to do it. And I, I, don't, I can't speak for other patriarchs, but with me, I'm like, do it, do it tomorrow then. Even if you had all day to do three tasks and one went long and you, you only got to two of them, just do it tomorrow. There's always tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of a procrastinator myself, so I don't think... Judging by the extremely feminist responses I was seeing on Twitter yesterday, I don't think men are going to be taskmasters. And if, the, if their wives aren't getting to all of the tasks of a day, which sometimes happens, even in the workplace, I'll kick it to tomorrow. Sometimes tomorrow it gets kicked to tomorrow's tomorrow. No big deal. So the, the, the boomer women, I think, just got tended to sublimate these things and to get grouchy with us. Millennials who were growing up at the time get grouchy with the, the Gen Xers. Gen X is really a half generation, which is why they market so shortly. But they tended to get grouchy with us because they weren't as comfortable with the kind of new household feminism that grew out of even those moms who stayed home. Sometime in the 80s seems to be when it was. When Laura Schlesinger in the late 80s was getting her start and she was like, Well, there's a household feminism, too. Remember Dr. Laura? There's a household feminism, too. That's what the left, because they've got the diabolic agency on their side, is so good at doing. Okay, we lost this. In America, 
De Beauvoir and Betty Friedan had this conversation and Betty Friedan said in America, we're not going to force women. So it's not going to be 100 percent of them like in France, get forced into the workplace. So there will be women that stay home. Betty Friedan, and she, she writes about this much in her writings. I know I'm the, I'm the patriarchy guru. Let's work on the let's work on feministizing even the women who stayed home. I saw its ugly jaws yesterday. The feminism of even homemakers. There's a homemaker's feminism. And it goes like this. First wave feminism is gender dysphoria. Bomb the bridge between sex-specific capacities and sex-specific tasks. And if not, everyone's living in the shadow of, uh-oh, we gotta, it's, it might not always be a loud tantrum, but a, this is another thing that creates, uh, I, I remember it from childhood, and, and my mom was definitely not a feminist. She's a very good lady and a good Catholic. But I remember in those times, the 80s, which followed the 70s, when they were being called all sorts of names for staying home, like the troops coming home from Vietnam, getting spit on and called baby killers. Good moms, like my mom, were in the home in the 80s raising us. The decade after, she decided like a strong, a truly strong woman, I'm going to stay home and raise my kids. She decided, I'm going to stay home, but it gave her some PTSD. It gave a lot of this first generation PTSD, the same as it gave the troops PTSD to go to Vietnam, then get home and be called baby killer and be spit on. They were being spit on by society, guys, these boomer women. So really, strongly salute them, um, strongly salute them for staying home. Now, I will say the other side of this is my mom, like a lot of other boomer moms that stayed strong in the 80s, sometime in the 90s went, went back to work. Very common experience. If you talk to women who are 60, 65, they're like, they're, they've taken all this shrapnel on their front side for doing the right thing and raising their kids. Then they capitulated at the end. Well, my kids are out of the home now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and get a degree and work. Why? It's the two-income trap. You avoided it. You need less money after your kids are out of the house than, than when they're in the house, right? Why is that a, an experience? Because I'm describing to you a big psychology, a big operative psychology. It's America-specific, like most stuff on Twitter is all America-specific phenomena. And I'm telling you the keys to our culture. I'm telling you what the real red pill is now. Even the strong boomer moms that stayed home were a little grouchy with us because they're feeling bad about themselves for not going to work, even though they knew it was the right thing to do. Come 1995, 96, 97, late 90s, you saw a lot of these women go get a degree and go into the workplace, even though now all their kids are raised and out of the house. Why? Now you should be chilling. You should be eating bonbons. Keep the house, but also eat bonbons. It's easier with no kids in the house than with kids in the house, or maybe with your last kid in the house. They went back to school and got a job. That's what happened in my household. My mom was always there when I got home from school. But I think the shame, and I'm, I'm, I'm propping my mom up here. She was one of the strong ones. Overall, very, very good mother. An excellent wife. Excellent wife. But overall, very good mother. But we did, we were a little nervous during the 80s. And during the 90s, went back to work. Okay? And that, that did... Um, I, I always think that hurts. If there's a youngest kid that doesn't get 100% of the attention that the older kids got because of the phenomenon I've just described, I think, I think that hurts them. And that, that's what happened to 
I think I think my younger brother, if I'm being honest, I think he he would say this. So it's really important to even after the kids leave the home, stay there. Now be grandma. You and your husband, once you're empty nesters, need less money. Now just be home, be cooking all day, get ready for grandkids to come over. Then you can take the grandkids more often. But that doesn't happen when you feel bad because for throughout all the 80s and 90s, you got called a layabout by American feminists. And that made you grumpy in the 80s and 90s. Now in the early 2000s, you don't have as much grand, uh, time for grandkids and grandparenting because you got a job. Something like that. I think it's a very common phenomenon. I'm just giving, I'm giving you guys the keys to understanding what's gone on in this country in the most important institution in the whole country, the family. In, in this sense, even more important than the church. The family is the single cell of society, according to the catechism. This is what's gone on over the last 40 years, 45, 50 years. Millennials dealt with it differently. I was talking to a lot of them yesterday. They're trying to ratio me on Twitter. They're the same ones that would have been fighting me two, three years ago, but now they know they're in the minority because the case for patriarchy hit. It dropped like a shot, converted everyone. Daily Wire picked it up, largely because of my friendship with Knowles. Even center-right people, even center-right Catholics now are admitting, Tim and Steph converted us, right? Brad and Horn. God bless those guys. They admitted it. They call Steph the, uh, the pro- prophetess or prophet of the stay-at-home wives or something like that. You can go find it on Matt Frad's show. So millennials get mad because it's a blocked wish. They want to they take after us for converting everyone right of center over the last few years on first wave feminism. So they're mad about that. I don't hear from these people on Twitter because they know if they try to defend first wave feminism about gender roles, they'll get, they'll get ratioed. So I only heard from them yesterday when it was a particular kind of gender role that a lot of people misunderstood as something that ought to be egalitarian. Gender roles should never be egalitarian. If your husband needs help with his work and he's working from home, hopefully a wife will help out. If a wife needs help, hopefully the husband uh, will help out. But the point is you ought not be making the exception into the rule. It ought to be one day out of 100, one day out of 50, which is what I said on Twitter. People living downstream of silent or loud female fits develop, in, which, which three main forms, neuroses. It's like PTSD. Everyone's worried. The shadow of mom coming around the, the corner. That's the matriarchy. It's the inverse of the lie that the matriarchal coven of feminist witches played on to emplace feminism in the middle 20th century saying that everyone was afraid of like a drunken, abusive, cheating, beating father. That one was made up. That one was a lie. Cosmo admitted they lied with a lot of these stories. Cosmo's editor literally admits it now. They lied with a lot of these stories. About feminism in general, not just about cheating and beating. They admit, most specifically, they lied about sex stuff. But now, there's a real version of it with the matriarchy. Guess why? It's real with the the dread, the neurosis created by the matriarchy, but mostly fake and, and f- fabricated with regard to the patriarchy because men are actually supposed to be the leaders. 
when you put someone in the throne who's not supposed to be in the throne, as Plato says about philosopher kings in books one and seven in The Republic, you're going to get a tyranny. That's what that is. Matriarchy is always tyranny. Patriarchy, properly conceived, never is. And when you live under a tyrant's reign, talk to people from ex-Cuba, ex-expats from Cuba. Talk to expats from the Soviet Union. Talk to expats from the Soviet bloc in Eastern Europe, where we ran color revolutions. Talk to expats from South America, where the, the next decade we ran color revolutions. It created real post-traumatic stress. Holy cow, you just don't want to set the tyrant off. Everyone do their tasks for him. Just don't set the tyrant off. Okay, so the meta-narrative here is that the, the four-year anniversary of the announcement of Case for Patriarchy just passed. When I announced I was writing the book, at the time I was writing it with my brother Dave, um, and then it ended up being a sole project. Um, four years just passed last week, and I announced it on Matt Frad's show. I didn't announce it on, on TNT. And Roman Catholicism clearly is behind on this compared to the other two types of Christian, Protestantism, Eastern Orthodox, when it should be ahead. I'm drawing from mostly Catholic ideas. Some of the ideas are from Eastern fathers like Chrysostom before the schism of 1054. So, so the Orthodox are, are rightly very good on this too. But Calvinist Protestants are based. Doug Wilson's daughter, who's named Rachel, though I, I don't know what her married name is, wrote a very good book on it from a Calvinist perspective. Orthodox Rachel Wilson wrote an excellent book. Excellent book on feminism. Um, just the best from a totally different angle from Steph and I. And of course, everyone catches a ratio from time to time when they're doing important work, but they're not catching ratios from conservative Protestants. Doug Wilson's daughter. I, I, I always forget her last name, but I keep up with her some. Other, Cal other conservative Calvinists are like, go. Rachel Wilson, who's a friend of Jay Dyer, has a lot of support from the Orthodox community. She might catch a ratio if she goes on Pearly Things show from the secularists who go after Pearly Things, after Pearl. She's not catching the ratio from the right-wing Orthodox. That's how messed up it is. In Catholicism, you'll catch a ratio from people who think they're trads just because of which liturgy they go to, even though they're sex egalitarians. That's how confused, how dysphoric these people are. That's what's been strange about the last four years in this overview I'm giving. Okay, so remember what happened after, I mean, you could go look at the comments from that Matt Frad show. It was a very fun show to do because I was in studio and Matt was, Matt was nervous, but he was excited. You know, he's like, wow, you said first wave feminism is, is evil. I said, yeah, it's the most evil. I've never heard that. We, we, had, we had a barbecue at his house afterwards. That's crazy, man. No, it's not. No, it's not. Look at, I mean, but he, he, he was very friendly. Look at the Seneca Falls, Seneca Falls Convention of 1848 and its memorialized document. He's like, wow, 
I was already doing that research. I didn't have it all lined up because I was just beginning the book. But um, I also talked about, you know, we just come from Disney World and wives are screaming at their husbands everywhere. Steph and I kept poking each other all day. Every time we heard a screeching wife, it's everywhere. Now, it's also very common. You, you hear it at the bank or the market or the, you know, the out and about on the town. If you go to a restaurant, you hear it if you have ears for it. But it was especially bad at Disney World because it's a thousand degrees with 99% humidity. And that's when you're testing people's virtue is at the boundary conditions. And that's when, man, that was the second to last time we've been to Disney World. And even the last time it wasn't as bad, but it was bad. So Frad was like, whoa, I can't believe you said that. The wives are grumpy. The wives are throwing their waves weight around that we noticed a physiognomy of it. It tended to be the ch- chunkier wives. I think I said chubbier. Everyone went nuts over that. Look, look, there's a physiognomy to things. You don't tend to throw your weight around unless you have weight to throw. And now everyone's gotten hip on that. And now if you go watch The Daily Wire, go do it as an experiment. Watch it today and tomorrow. Watch Noel's show and Matt Walsh's show. One of the two of them or both, today or tomorrow, probably Maybe all four shows between those two guys in these two days will be doing a feminism show. Okay? We got a lot of steam. So there's a blocked wish out there of the, 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 even the trad Catholics. Catholics who are always behind culturally were the worst infiltrated in the most important areas. These people assuage their consciences at night because they go to the better liturgy. Yeah, so do I. Right? That's not it. If you go to the TLM and your wife is yelling at you or kicking you under the table or telling you what to do because she thinks she's boss, then your house is in disorder. It's in disarray. The kids have the kids have a kind of PTSD. Everyone's neurotic as hell. Where's all this neurosis in society coming from that would create third wave gender dysphoria? It's coming from the, the home, from the mom and the dad. The dad omitting and the mom committing. So that's the meta narrative. And then, you know, just as um, people, I, I used to always have this conversation with Steve Skojic back in his Catholic days. He'd say, oh, is this a hill you're going to die on? I'd say, Steve, it's not a hill and it's not dying. Being a leader, an influ- a real influencer, not just sitting back like this, with your finger in the wind, it means you say something that's initially unpopular, you argue for it, and you convert a whole nation, hopefully all of the West. Well, what do you think has happened with Christian masculinism? With retrograde attacks on the matriarchy, with retrograde attacks on behalf of the patriarchy, it caught the wind. Now we're flying. Now we're just talking about the particulars. Okay, what's appropriate, what's not? A lot of this is prudence. So a lot of stuff, you can run your own household that you want. But a lot of it remains for, that's not, that's not just preference. It's not strictly prudential. So a lot of that's kind of coming out now. And the same hill that some people say, oh, are you going to die on this hill? No, 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 no. This is not all just about sitting back, doing a show on what everyone says they want to show on, and saying whatever palliates the fickle mob. There's a responsibility that comes with having a camera and a mic and a headset. 
there's a responsibility. If you take it seriously, as I do, then you'll say, okay, once a year I catch a ratio on Twitter. I'm glad to do it. I'm honored to have it. it. I mean, it would be unpleasant if it was once a week, but once again, once a year isn't once a week, which was the point of this show. Husband changing a diaper once a year is one thing. Once a week's another thing. Catching a ratio on Twitter once a year is not the same thing as catching it once a week. It's the exception to the rule, not the rule. It becomes weekly, it becomes the rule. And that's where the dysphoria enters. God bless you all, parachutists and retrogrades. Have a great day. Remember, the patriarchy is legitimately on its way back. If you are slow on this point, be slow no more. It's on its way back. Men, in a virtuous way, regain control of your households. Restore virtue to your households. Repopulate your households with children that are not neurotic and are not running around in fear of mom's mood. In a properly run household, no one's worried about this. No one's feeling overwhelmed. Not the dad, not the mom, not the kids. And no one's worried about each other's moods. Except in a loving sense. Are you having a really bad headache? Let's help each other out. Let's everyone help out the, the one who needs the help. That's different from living in terror. Patriarchy is on its way back. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit.